I'm Georgie. And I'm VG. Welcome to our podcast, Diversity and Inclusion and Satisfying Tip Box. In today's episode, we'll be covering Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder, ADHD. So today we actually have a special guest joining us, Kieran Blay, um, who will be sharing his his journey and experiences with ADHD. So Kieran, if you could just do a quick intro just to let everyone know who you are, that would be great. Yeah, thanks guys for having me on. Um, exciting to exciting to be here and discuss this topic, especially with the amount of focus that ADHD and neurodiversity as a whole has had in recent, uh, I'd say the last kind of couple of years really, but certainly ramped up in the recent months. So yeah, excited to be here. Um, real journey comes back to, as we'll discuss today, a journey comes back to being diagnosed kind of at five years old. 26 years ago, feeling a little bit old now, being the wrong side of 30. Um, but yeah, happy to look forward to kind of deep diving on the various avenues that it's taken me down. Thank you, Kieran. And uh, it's a pleasure having you here. What I wanted to get from you, Kieran, is I think it'd be good for you to describe it in your own words, what ADHD is. Yeah, I think lots of people have a different view depending on their own experiences. But um, essentially, as you as you've introduced it really is it's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder um lots of people see it as to kind of a few different ways and it expresses itself in uh in different ways with different people um i don't pigeonhole it at all but there you see quite common um quite common stories where say females get diagnosed later in life because it expressed itself in a in a different manner when they were children so you tend to find sometimes that people are more withdrawn as opposed to what people would expect with them being kind of out loud about it and 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 being more disruptive they are a little bit more withdrawn so it's, and we're finding more and more people now um, getting diagnosed later in life 20s 30s 40s and some stories i've heard um from from friends and colleagues is even into 50s and beyond the interesting thing with adhd is is just because you were diagnosed a little bit later didn't mean that you've only just got it or experienced it in recent years. It's actually um, more often than not, it's it's genetic. So it's passed down through our through our family line from our parents and, and so on. So if you diagnose later on in life, it's quite an interesting kind of story and journey to unravel because you've had that since birth. Um, so why has it taken till then to be diagnosed? And that's why I say it's, it expresses itself in different people. And different people have different traits and strengths and weaknesses. And that kind of, I, I guess, from my own experience and opinion as to why people may not um, may not get diagnosed till later in life. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. It's quite um, like a spectrum, isn't it? I think there's not really one way of defining ADHD. I'm quite interested. Did you do you have anyone else in your family with um, ADHD? it's a great question um i ultimately yes because it's genetic right yeah. so um i well, it's a bit of a story with this one so back in 2018 i left formula one um, and came into the world of business and i started in startups and i was working for a neuroscience neuroscience startup um kind of on the outskirts of london towards essex called smart start minds um, we used to run evening workshops for parents and professionals and just people interested in learning more about ADHD and neurodiversity or, and uh, back then talking about a lot, a lot about ADD as well um, and dyslexia and things. But we did we did one particular event 
um, where it was just after I joined and they asked if I'd be interested in in presenting my story to share with parents um, as to to help them understand what the, their children might be going through and experiencing and how they might be able to support that and how my mum supported me and how my family supported me growing up. And um, it wasn't until the neuroscientist um, that was presenting kind of that this is a genetic, a genetically inherited um, disorder in some ways. I, I hate using that word as well, actually. I think in my life, as much as it's ups and downs, I like to think it's a bit of a superpower. Um, but he said he he shared with the with the room that this was a thing that could be, that was more or less more often than not inherited genetically and uh my mum had come down to uh to watch and just kind of see me in action if you like and uh, I think it came out there and then that my mum realized that she was the one that uh, passed it on um so we often have discussions about it now and I hope she most doesn't mind me saying on uh on Spotify or wherever else we publish this. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, I think the, the link is between my mum and I. Okay, that's so interesting. So was she, was she diagnosed or was it kind of, she was a uh, late, late di- diagnosis or? No, I've been nudging her to try and look. Oh, and okay. um, but um, so far it's been fairly unsuccessful conversation. Yeah. Um, and I think and that's actually another interesting point is that, when you are later in life, like my mum's in her mid fifties, um, is there any like there's some of them are thinking, is there any point? I've gone this far, so you're not a million miles away from retirement. So how how is a diagnosis going to help me, and what am I going to achieve through support now? And so they think, oh, just go on as life as usual. It's nice to just have a little bit more awareness that this might be a thing. The some of the challenges and some of the gifts that are associated with it and just self-learning and go and just continue going on the path that they already had done just more aware of the the condition itself yeah I think that's that's a good point because I was diagnosed with dyslexia quite late as well and part of me was thinking oh should I should I do this or not because it might change how I don't know how I perceive things or things like that but it's actually been really helpful for me to understand how I work and how I kind of tackle things a bit more but just conscious of your story taking it back to the start do you want to give a bit of background on kind of what it was like growing up as a kid and your experiences in school yeah of course so I was diagnosed as early as you possibly could be when I was a child I was diagnosed at the age of five I believe and some people may put in comments after this that, uh, that that is different now, but I believe it's still five years old when you mm-hmm. the earliest diagnosis. See a few people earlier with autism, but I think with ADHD it might still be five. Back when I got diagnosed, that was certainly the case. But my mum describes my childhood because once I I never really discussed my ADHD until I was however old I was in two thousand and eighteen. So I'm getting so old that I'm forgetting the getting dates and timelines. But um, in 2000, before 2018, didn't really tell anyone. Obviously, people at school knew. And then as I got into the world of work, I just kept it. Sh- I kept my mouth shut. Um, some people thought that there were obvious traits for obvious reasons, for some fairly obvious reasons at the time. Um, but And then obviously my family knew, but I hadn't really told anyone. So it's only really been the last few years where I've been kind of out and talking about it. 
And then a reason why that's important is because then my family were then more open with me around talking about the earlier parts of the journey. So when I was when I was young, my mum was a single mum fairly early on in, in my life around the age of one. And so she just thought that she had a fun, happy baby is what she that's what she's always described it as. And she never really realised that there was anything necessarily different um, in any way. And it wasn't until I then went to preschool, into nursery, where then that kind of differentiate, those differentiating factors between me and other ch- children became more apparent. I just had a lot more energy than than other children. I was quite disruptive. I was quite, um, I'd like to be the centre of attention when I was a kid. Some might tell you I quite like that now, but <laughs> I'd like to think I've tam- tampered that down a bit. But um, that was certainly the case when I was younger. And I used to do silly, impulsive things. Um, even as as a kind of as a toddler so my mum tells me of a story where I was at little people's pay group in Hook in Hampshire we were we were doing arts and crafts and we had those rubbish plastic scissors that we all remember as kids that never really managed to cut anything and um, one of the helpers re- lent over me to help with something not sure what it was um, and I was trying to I started trying to cut her hair with the scissors which apparently didn't go down very well at all <laughs> So luckily I can't remember that. I'm sure there's some probably some trauma (laughs) there in my brain deep down. Um, But I used to do silly impulsive things like that when I when I was a kid. Um, And that became a bit of a theme, really. And that is a major trait of ADHD is is impulsivity, Um, impulsivity and impulsivity control. Um, There's been some times where I've I've bought a car randomly. Um, I've gone out looking for some car for someone else and come back with one for me and nothing for them. Um, or more recently, when on my birthday this year, I um, I took a friend's car for an MOT um, whilst they were away. And whilst I was there, I walked into the garage next door because the MOT centre was in the middle of nowhere. Um, so I hung around while they were doing it and I saw an Audi TT in there that, and it was happened to be the one that I was kind of looking at and had been after for a little while. It was my birthday in two days time. And I just thought um, impulsively justified to myself that to me from me and um, took it out for a test drive and um, within an hour I'd bought it and, and traded mine in which I'd only had for about a year and a half and um, so I do silly things I'm still fairly impulsive on on certain things like that um, but things that are fun as opposed to things that create negative impact I'd like to think but my my journey through school just coming back to that earlier stage those earlier stages I found it really easy to make friends if I'm completely honest um, because I was the forward one I was always quite confident in speaking to people. Um, some people actually with, with ADHD or those that in later life found a bit more about autism, which will come on, I'm sure we'll probably come on to a bit later. But well, as a kid, I didn't know that side. So uh, to me, it was just ADHD. But I found making making friends, kind of networking in the corporate life um, back then as a child quite easy. But I lost friends just as fast. That was quite hard um, because I always just thought that people one minute liked me and then the next minute didn't or I was spoken about in groups aside to the ones that I was that, that I was being included in um, or I'd get slightly bullied um, for doing certain doing silly little things that I didn't realize that were different or that I shouldn't be doing. Um, and then I'd also get into fights quite a lot, physical fights at school, um, which obviously isn't isn't a good thing. Um, but yeah, when I was younger, I used to be, especially with that kind of that hyperactivity side of ADHD, um, 
I did have a have aggressive bursts, which I'm not overly proud of, but unfortunately, and being open honest about it, um, were there at the time. And one thing that I found that was kind of a mediator for me was sport. So I've always been involved in sport. Then later in life, I was uh, when I went to my early parts of my career in motorsport, those kind of rush of things and a lot of energy and wearing myself out actually then made, made allowed me to kind of more moderate myself. My brain was a lot clearer. Um, that kind of that foggy side wasn't there. The impulsivities were less. Um, and overall, it was just over, uh, overall just a little bit easier to to get along in life. Um, but sport and my career have always been those mediators for me. And moving into moving through from kind of childhood into teenage years, it's I don't know really how to put it to be honest. I think it was the same trends as when I was a child. Good at networking good easily make friends I was always really curious about other people I find other people fascinating and then all of a sudden people wouldn't want to be around me or associated to me and um, I wouldn't get invited to parties like kids parties and stuff like remember when you were a kid and got invited to someone's sixth birthday party and everyone's there like jelly ice cream all the rest of it Um, one I was told by the 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 psychiatrists in my care plan for ADHD that I wasn't supposed to have any of those like e-number related foods or blue smarties as everyone was banding around um, back when we were children um but I get wouldn't get invited to those parties um which was obviously at the time I didn't really understand why um but looking back on it now I can I can understand it still don't like it but I can understand it and then going into my teens I just managed to I learned a little bit more about myself so I was able to channel the energy that was otherwise caused impulsivity and other things into things that I really enjoyed. And I came, I became aware quite early on of how to manage, how to get the most, how to get more out of myself, how to get the best out of myself in a way, which was focusing on the things that I enjoy and that I'm good at and just realizing on the things that the things that the negative traits of, of ADHD or that my experience of negative traits with ADHD cause just leave them to one side and don't you don't get upset by that. It's just that you're good at some things and you're not good at others. And that's absolutely fine. I think we try and find too many people these days trying to be good at everything. So for me, that was my, as I said before, it's my career and sport. And that was really the, the that kind of journey and trend through my through my childhood. Thank you for sharing that, Kieran. That was uh, quite emotional, but also deep in, in terms of what you went through. So thank you. I wanted to, and I quote, this is the words you used, you know, you mentioned challenges and gifts uh, associated with ADHD. Can you just um, elaborate on that a little bit so that the the listeners can understand as well? Yeah, sure. So everybody, as I said before, everybody's got a different experience with, with ADHD and it's not just ADHD. Everyone has a different experience with whatever it is that um, they may, they may have, whether that's ADHD, dyspraxia, autism, obviously there are some key traits that more that, that are more commonly found um but everybody still has a slightly different experience so what i will sh- what i'll share now is isn't necessarily what another five people you'd speak to with adhd might experience but so in terms of challenges um for me early on as i was saying before was really around that impulsivity control and as i was younger um emotional regulation was also difficult I'd get upset really quickly. I'd get angry really quickly. Equally, I'd get happy really quickly. All those different emotions were almost like instantaneous, like 
switch triggers type thing. Um, so it was like on off switch. One minute I'd be really happy and then it would just for some random reason and it could be super, super small, really superficial to most people just send me to the other side of the chart. That was quite a steep and difficult learning curve through life, getting through that bit. But impulsivity, emotional control, speed of thinking. Now, this hovers on a bit of a line for me because it's also one of the, in inverted commas, superpowers um, that I've got is, is that I feel that sometimes I am 20 steps, 20 thoughts ahead um, into a problem um, whilst maybe the rest of the group is still kind of on step three and four. Um, and I find that, and I still kind of find that sometimes super frustrating. So I'm like, well, we could have got to this earlier, but we're not there yet. And I think that's part of the, being an adult is you understand that everybody's a bit different and we need to, and that's kind of the art of diverse teams is that we are all a little bit different, but collectively um, we create innovative things um, and do better work together. The speed of thinking was a bit of a challenge because that led to impulsive decisions that maybe weren't so positive when I was growing up. So it's doing a lot of learning with that, of turning that from a challenge into something that I can um, funnel into something that is more positively used and positively impactful now. Some other things that in for some of the re- listeners may have seen recently um, over the last year or so, some publications coming out from Monzo Bank um, around financial, um, financial, uh, I don't know which way to put it, to be honest, um, financial stability knowledge use um can't really think of the right word to use but because of that impulsivity side and the emotional regulation monza actually found that uh, there's links to adhd and a higher cost of living in a way and so people with adhd tend to spend i think it was something like 1600 pounds more on average a year um because they buy things impulsively Mm -hmm. i saw um, there's a couple of adhd influencers on linkedin that uh, had been posting around this recently saying they just buy random books and like gifts for people or stuff for themselves that they never actually end up using half the time because it's novel and that's the thing with ADHD is the novel thing always gets your attention and it's always at the top of your priority list and I'd say that then probably leads on to the next the next challenge and now trait is the most novel thing at the time it takes precedent um so it's kind of like the I liken it to a puppy new shiny things new toys, new whatever it might be. And it's like, that's where their attention is. And they're over there sniffing all over there over the, with the new toy. And that's kind of like, I liken that to ADHD a little bit is that, uh, yeah, the, the fun stuff gets to the top of the priority list. And some of the stuff that might actually be really important to get done first just starts to slide down. And it's not because that's what we want to do. It's just because naturally we're, we're, we're drawn by the nice shiny new thing that we want to tackle and that may be because there's a challenge associated with that we see the challenge is something that we'd like to sink our teeth into in terms of traits hyper focus has always been a good one for me so um i think good for me bad for some people that i work i work i've worked with at times and um, but certainly on subjects that i enjoyed at school hyper focus was great so i was good at maths as a kid i enjoyed maths i hated english I wasn't very good at um, uh, uh, RE and geography and a few other bits and pieces. And then I loved history. But those those few subjects that I was interested in, I'd hyper focus on. And so uh, when I was, um, I think it was year seven or eight, secondary school, I think it was year eight. There was um, there was a maths paper, just a modular maths paper that we all had kind of every term. 
And I got, I think there was two of us in our year group that got 100% on that paper. Um, and hyperfocus allowed me to go on a really deep dive into into what was needed to to get a good score. I really enjoyed maths. The challenge with that is that it's almost like you know the horse in a carriage with blinkers on around yeah. around its eyes. Yeah. Um, it's like it's a little bit like that. You can see what's in front of you and what you should be focused on, what's in your line of sight, but then everything outside of that uh, doesn't exist. Doesn't seem to exist. So. Um, give an example of we have kids these days and we were of that generation where we were just coming into it with uh, consoles playstations dreamcast sega mega drive did you yeah sega that was my first console (laughs) (laughs) golden eye um but um when when we when i play um play on a console really focused on what's going on the screen and my mum could be to one side or whoever it might be trying to distract me to and it might be dinner is ready or whatever it might be and I just can't hear that that noise doesn't exist in my head while I'm focused on something but it also served me really well a little bit later on in life so when I got to motorsport see you've got a lot of responsibility and essentially building a car that someone's going to go to great speeds in um, and if something if a part fails on that car um, that is down obviously to a certain extent we say get part failures because of materials and things but ultimately people responsible for that are the people that built it and the people that maintain it so hyper focus really helped me in being quite ocd in a way super meticulous um with the job at hand um so it helped me in my working career as well and also lastly sport i find a sport that i enjoy and so growing up that was football and then i went into hockey more recently oddly very left field ice skating and um, i just i just hyper on it it is good isn't it it's good fun yeah Um, it's like um it's like you're doing cardio without realizing you're doing cardio and everybody hates doing cardio at the gym so go to the gym through a week tuesday evening ice skating get my get almost like my masked cardio in um but i really enjoy it and going up um going up through the like level one two three four currently on um just finished level six going into level seven i just want to get all the little details right um to be able to progress um so yeah those are the those are the traits and challenges i think that are most prominent in my life yeah i think that's really interesting i think because there's obviously you can see the symptoms in a positive way but also how it can kind of detriment you as well and i think just going back to the kind of emotional control and things like that I think medication is quite a big topic isn't it it's it can be quite a controversial topic with medicating children and things like that so what's your kind of journey with that did you take more of a a natural remedy route because I know you spoke about doing sports quite a lot growing up yeah so medication is a I get I've not had the greatest journey with it but uh, just before actually just before we come up and explain my journey with medication, I think it's worth going a little bit of why why some of the emotional control and things are a bit of a challenge for those with ADHD. And it really comes down to, and I'm no scientist, but this is just my understanding of it from some of my own research and talking to people that that, uh, that do specialize in it. It's really around the under the kind of underdevelopment of the prefrontal cortex of the brain. So those frontal lobes. Um, that most of our uh, kind of executive control resides within. So our, our impulsivity control, emotional control and such like. 
um, and you find that that the the development cycle of that, if you took someone with ADHD and someone neuro, neurotypical, I don't call them normal, neurotypical people, um, if you had brain scans of um, one of each, you'd see that the prefrontal cortex and the brain development of someone with ADHD is just a, a is a, a certain percentage behind the development of someone neurotypical. Um, so, and the blood flow to the prefrontal cortex of the brain isn't as um, isn't as active, if you like, not flowing as freely and, and prevalently to the prefrontal cortex as it would be with someone that doesn't have ADHD. Um, so it's kind of where some of that then from a physiological point of view or biological point of view kind of comes from. I'm sure some experts that may listen to this will correct me with some terminology and that's fine, but that's my understanding of it. And with um, with the medication side, though, my journey was not um, didn't start off great. So I can't remember exactly how old I was, but essentially I went on to Ritalin first, which was a really common medication when I was um, when I was diagnosed. It may still be now. Um, I've heard of people using Ritalin recently, um, but it was the most commonly um, prescribed medicine, if you like, for ADHD when I was a kid. But they put me on a dosage. I can't remember exactly what that was. And I took half a tablet one morning before school and I almost got expelled from school that day. So it actually sent me the opposite direction. So I took half a tablet and my emotional control and my um, kind of my emotional control and my impulsivity went through the roof. Um, so the story goes, and I'm not very proud of this one, but the story basically goes that um, it was actually a friend of mine at the time, but they hung their coat on my peg. Remember when we were at primary school, and we all had our own little peg to hang yeah, up? that's not on. That's not on. But they they hung their coat on my peg and I it was like red rag to a ball. Um and uh when they were in the playground a little bit later on, yeah, I swung them around by the hood of their coat and threw them across the playground and it ended up with my mum taking a horrible walk of shame over to their house to apologise to their parents after school. So um obviously I was dragged out of class that morning. And my mum rang the, um, I think my mum rang the psychiatrists or something. They explained what had happened. And um, I said, don't let him take any more. So my journey with Ritalin was uh, very short. Well, just out of interest, sorry, what, what's Ritalin, what's kind of the effect it's meant to have when you take it? Because obviously if you only took half and it gave you that those effects, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to know what it's like meant to, meant to do. I don't know the ins and outs of it, if I'm completely honest, but my, I think with any medication, it's just supposed to kind of ease the, I think just to mediate the peaks and troughs a little bit more. Uh, so for ADHD, most a lot of ADHD medication is um, like caffeine, it's a stimulant. So my brain works at a million miles an hour, 24-7. Um, and so, but my it, my, it's almost like my body and my brain work at two different two different um, rates. And I think the medication just allows kind of one to meet the other. And that's a super simplistic way of going about, of, of talking about it. But my understanding is, is just to be able to kind of mellow you out in the middle somewhat and just give you a little bit more control over some of the traits that we were discussing earlier that might not be as positive for you um, as others. And just out of curiosity, did they get the medication wrong or the dosage? Or where because it, it seems like they gave you this and they were confident it's going to be 
a positive outcome and it hasn't. So where did they go wrong in a way? That's what I want to know. I think like with anything, with any medication for something, it's a bit trial and error. Um, now I get on my high horse sometimes about uh, what our knowledge as a society and medically of ADHD back then. So I think you go for a, you go, you break a bone, you have an X-ray, they can see exactly where the break is. They know how to treat that. Um, if you have other things going there, have a CT scan or whatever it might be, they can have a look at the the injury site, and there's a there is a process into getting you back to full health. If you get diagnosed with ADHD, which back in those days was just like a a conversation and possibly a questionnaire, they don't do brain scans. They just give you medication. But as we were saying earlier, not everybody has the same experience with with ADHD, with traits and and challenges and and such like. And so medication, therefore, won't be and shouldn't be the same in everybody. It's going to be a bit different. It's like some people are um, some people are allergic to like penicillin, for instance. Right. So it's the same thing with there is a bit of trial and error as to finding something that's going to work for that individual. ADHD just really didn't, uh, sorry, Ritalin didn't just really didn't work for my ADHD. And it wasn't until then a few years later when we tried something else. So there was another drug that came over from the US, I believe originally called Concerta. Now, Georgie, to your point earlier on kind of how does that have an effect uh, on with Ritalin, with Concerta, the way it was described to me is it was slow down my thinking and my action. So that it basically they they likened it to their example was a game of um, a game of knuckles, and they said if I put if we put our hands out and and you haven't had this medication, ADHD is basically a really fast impulsive knock, and you've got no time to move your hand out of the way. You're going to lose every time. If you take this medication, it's like the hand is moving slower. You can see that happening, and it gives you an opportunity to move out the way. Um, so essentially, yeah, slowing that thinking, that, that space between thinking and action down, creating a gap for you to make a choice at the end of the day. They gave me that. I can't remember exactly how long I was on it for. Um, but my mum, a quote from my mum when we did that thing, that talk back in 2018 was that she felt she lost a little boy, which was hard to hear in public. That's heartbreaking. At the time even felt in myself, I just felt like a snail. I felt really sluggish and it just slowed me right down to the point of almost like feeling inactivity. I couldn't function. Brain fog, wasn't really interested in in some things that normally I would be. Um, so it wasn't a huge amount of time before I came off that as well. And we made a decision as a family to go about it in a different way and try and mediate it through things like diet um, and exercise. Um, as we know, exercise is pretty good for mental health and um, yeah. being a mental health and neurological disorder, two and two together. Great. Throw mm-hmm. in football. So um, and then sports just been that that post for me, that pillar and rock thereafter. And I haven't been medicated since 2013. Exercising, dieting, those two are, are key. And I know you're you're one of them that loves exercise and dieting <laughs> for us um, and understanding the effect of medication. And that it's not the same for everybody is 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 it's quite key, I think. Don't get me wrong, I, I didn't have a great journey with it. Others have had a phenomenal response to medication. So there are as as there is with ADHD, the medication side of it and its effects, there's a spectrum. 
And so I just I was just at one end of it. I've heard of people that are having an amazing time on on medications such as Alvance, for instance, which is something more recently um, been more recently available. It's actually one I'd quite like to try. Um, so I've been talking to my GP around um, exploring new medications. And now that's been a whole new challenge in itself. Um, but I'm quite keen to try something now to see what the advancements in our understanding of ADHD and therefore the medications available for it um, are and how that might help or affect me in my life today. Because obviously my life today was very different to my life then. Yeah, I, I think it's quite cool that you're still kind of open to like trying different things because I think the whole point around it being quite an individual thing and what works for you is, is kind of linked to like mental health as well because I know for me back in the day I tried medication didn't work for me started exercising and that completely transformed my life and I think it's yeah it's really important to kind of assess it on a like person to person basis rather than just you've all got to take this and you'll be all right because it's not the case really is it no absolutely and where my thing is really like I said earlier exercise for me and sport for me even to, to the extent of the competition side of it, I'm extremely competitive in everything I do. It has its own its own positives and negatives, right? But um, for me, if I don't exercise, if I'm not competing or if I'm not involved in some degree of sport, I see negative impact in nearly every other area of my life. Um, so for me, I have to move. I have to be pushing myself physically and have to be exercising um, to have that kind of um, that sweet spot. Um, across the board and everything else thank you kieran for sharing your personal journey with adhd i'm sure a lot of people a lot of the listeners will be able to relate to this let's talk about your workplace journey so in terms of your workplace journey do you feel like your adhd has allowed you to excel at work or do you have any examples of this of course it's been a bit of a journey with work to be honest so um i think i said earlier that i didn't really I didn't really talk about it, although it may have been obvious to some people. I didn't really come out about come out about it openly until 2018. Um, I worked in in motorsport for the majority of my adult life and, and some of my childhood too. Um, and to your point, it I think I excelled in motorsport because ADHD allowed me to hyper focus um, on key things in quite a chaotic, sometimes chaotic environment. So it allowed me to hone in on things. And as well, that kind of the variety that motorsport gave me as well um, was that helped actually helped my ADHD. I was able to adapt to my environment quite quickly. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that made, that helped to excel, um, excel my career really having ADHD. Although I, like I say, I didn't share it until 2018. So when I, I think it was 2017, when I went to Formula One, and so I joined the Williams Formula One team in 2017, where I was working in the wind tunnel on aerodynamic development, um, looking after um, kind of the technical aspect of of the scale model during tunnel um, sessions. And um, I was in that I was in that environment for 12 hours a day, um, and I sat in the seat in the office, and then going into the into the tunnel section to make changes to the model. Um, and I purposefully didn't share my ADHD in my interview process because 
the first thing I thought of sharing ADHD with someone is that they were think they were going to think, oh, he's hyperactive. He's not going to be able to sit still. This job requires extreme focus um, and someone to sit still and focus on this model for the best part of 12 hours a day. Right. So um, I thought that I may not get the job because I have ADHD. So um, I didn't tell them. But in fact, actually, some of the traits and, and things that um that I am challenged and blessed with, I'd like to say, um, actually really helped me in that environment. I really enjoy, I, I believe in doing things that you enjoy. And I really enjoyed my job. So having ADHD and hyperfixation allowed me to hyperfocus on the things that I was doing um, and excel during those 12 hour sessions where someone that didn't really understand ADHD would um, would think it, that I'd act quite the opposite. Um, after that time though, so when I came out of motorsport, was late 2018 um joined a neuroscience startup called smart start minds um in um on the outskirts of london towards essex and then that's where i then started to feel at home and i became really open about my adhd so i did a i did an evening talk there for some parents one evening um alongside our alongside the ceo and neuroscientist that uh, founded the business um and just felt at home um and then that since i then since i came out about that in that in that environment i've felt super comfortable with it ever since and i think being able to be open about uh, about my journey reflect on it and share it with others now has actually then continued to help me in the workplace because i'm not masking anything i'm able to be who i am and i'm more confident in being that person um and the more i've come out about it and the more i've shared about my journey it's really interesting i think because the more feedback i've had of um, from people actually even colleagues recently oh you've made it you've made it normal you've made you've made it okay you've made it normal to have ADHD and to, to talk to others about it it's not something that we need to hide behind anymore um I did a webinar kind of this time last year um on during the Gen O program so the talent acquisition program at Oracle um with uh, the neurodiversity lead at the time and someone and a colleague of mine came out on that call about their own ADHD journey and they'd never shared it with anyone before. And I thought that was super powerful. Um, so yeah, I think it's that it, it has its pros and its cons. It doesn't come without its challenges. Um, but I'd like to think that uh, it helps me at work more than hinders me. Um, and the more I've come to understand it, the more I've been able to use it for more positive action than, than negative. Yeah, I think that's a really good point around kind of the more you share about it the more it becomes like a normal thing um and I think you probably help a lot more people by sharing your experiences than you actually think I guess it's it's good to talk about how it allows you to excel at work but have you ever felt your ADHD has been a bit of a hindrance at work because I know for me with dyslexia um I struggle with certain aspects in the corporate world um, for example, with presentations and trying to remember all the information that you want to get across. I was just wondering if you had anything that is kind of a standout for you that is a challenge. I wonder if uh, some colleagues I've worked with in recent months are listening to this. Um, <laughs> and probably sat there going, yes, yes, it has affected him in the workplace. Um, now, yeah, it's interesting what you say about about dyslexia and having challenges. And, and yes, the answer is yes, I've I've had some myself. So I think with some of the traits that I'm more challenged with and 
are actually, although they're some, some instances or some environments, they may be perceived as negative. I actually like to think that in, for myself and the way that I like to work, I'm able to use them as a strength and a positive um, in certain situations, although that might not be perceived to be the case with other people that I might be working with. For example, if I leave things to the last minute, I can do really good work last minute and get it all done, and knock it out the park. And I, what I sometimes struggle with is long lead times to things where uh, in the corporate world, we know it moves quite slowly at times. Um, and I really struggle with that. Um, so if you've got things of actions, that are, the actions that are um, agreed to take weeks, months, um, I kind of I find it hard to concentrate in that environment and get those done. Just get the man done early like most people would. Okay. Okay. Well, we've got this task now. We've got three months to do it. But if I get it done this week, I can focus on other things. My brain doesn't work like that. Um, I'd love to be like that because I think, um, in some instances, it'd be far less stressful to work in that way. But I will leave it to week, few days before and get it done. But I think the self awareness in me and knowing that that's the case allows me to use it as a strength as opposed to delivering late on anything. I'm, I'm quite similar to you, Kieran, as well. And I just wanted to take it back to your point about sharing your story and your journey. You're raising awareness, but you're also building allies. And allyship is quite important in this day and age. What do you think? I think allyship is extremely important because I think some of the stats that came out recently I saw from, uh, I think it was Neurodiversity in Business, um, a charity that Dan Harris leads, said that it's estimated that around 20% of your workforce will be neurodiverse, which means there's 80% of people out there that may or may not understand what we're going through, how to get the best out of us. Um, and the more that we kind of create that awareness, um, confident in ourselves and sharing it with people, the more we can help those people understand and convert those people into allies um, that can only further spread that awareness as far as we possibly can. 100%. And also, you mentioned earlier about autism. What has uh, been your journey? Tell us more about your journey with autism. Autism has been an interesting one. I, I've got a fair few friends um, and with autism. Uh, sorry, that have autism. Over the last few months, maybe a year or so, I've been thinking, I've been just looking at things online and I tick too many boxes to not explore it. And it wasn't until I actually started volunteering for a neurodiversity charity, it was actually neurodiversity in business, where I just got talking to some of the other volunteers in the group uh, as I was looking to looking to get a re-diagnosis for ADHD, start to explore advancements in medication again. Um, after some of the challenges that I'd had before, I like to think that the medical medical industry has kind of moved on somewhat in the last 15 years. And I'd like to try it again to see if there's some benefits to be had from that. And um, got talking to a few people. They said, have you thought about have you thought about autism? And I was like, I've been thinking about it, but I haven't taken it to haven't taken it too seriously just yet. And I started to go down the rabbit hole with that. And the more I've gone down the rabbit hole, the more obvious it's become. Um, and actually, interestingly, there I've seen more and more cases of comorbidity. So people having ADHD um, or dyslexia or another neurodiverse condition and autism or and something else. And um, that I don't think when I was originally diagnosed with ADHD, because autism wouldn't have just come about. Right. It's we're we're generally born with these things. So 
I, when I was diagnosed, it wouldn't have been there. I don't think it would have been their first port of call to start checking for other things, especially if it wasn't externally obvious to start going down that rabbit hole. So I'm started exploring that now, but the journey um, to get there is on the NHS at the moment. And I feel for the NHS because they're, they're, they're strained at the best of times. But I think especially with neurodiversity, it's, um, it's just a ridiculous pathway at the moment. So having a look at both NHS and private, private um, options, if you like. And in terms of, um, you know, tying this back into the workplace, have you seen people that are going through the journey to diagnosis? Yeah, more and more, actually. And especially people that are a little bit later in life, which I think has been really interesting. And I've had conversations with quite a few people now where they've spoken about how they're going on this journey and then they're reflecting back throughout their life and thought how obvious this has actually been for many years um, but when they were a, when they were a child, the the awareness just wasn't there for either parents, family, friends, or medical professionals to pick up on it um, and kind of label it, if you like. And I hate that word label, but um, can't really think of another way to explain it right now. Um, and there, a few of them are going down the medication route. Some of them are just going through the holistic route of just becoming more self aware about themselves, learn or self aware, sorry, learning more about themselves, learning how to get the best out of themselves. And then some of those and then another fraction of, of that group, then being open about sharing it in the workplace, whether it's with colleagues, managers or whatnot, to then get the support and to help them continue to excel in their career. Um, but I think if we can, you can see it all over over LinkedIn, for instance, um, or online in general, that is seeing more and more people um, in their adult years becoming diagnosed with a neurodiverse condition. Yeah, I think um, I've seen that quite a lot as well. But I think there's also the argument of, oh, if you've gone your whole life without knowing, is there really kind of any point in finding out now? What do you think about that? I think in all honesty and being blunt about it, I think it's extremely naive Mm -hmm. Um, because just, just what if you've, what if that period of time in your life unknowingly you've actually suffered with something it's been more negative than positive and you have an opportunity now to turn that table um i think people should i think people should embrace it um, and really go down that down that journey of self-exploration and then i think the art of reflection is powerful right and, and it's something i don't do enough of um but since this since going down the autism um going on that autism journey for me i've started to reflect throughout my life and then it's actually become more and more obvious and i've gone right okay well i could have done this differently i could have done that differently when people are saying oh well i've gone 30 years of it and it's not just neurodiversity right people say this about all sorts of different things in life i think it's almost like an easy way out for people if i'm completely honest and people shouldn't take the easy route out challenge yourself about it explore explore yourself and you're not only helping yourself by getting support or putting mechanisms in place to help yourself you're also helping those around you um and hopefully then improve the way that you can excel in every area of life and i think i don't think that people should kind of just slip it under a rock because because they have been diagnosed later in life and also kieran to to that point um there's also a lot of stigma people are worried about this stigma that's attached to it and I think it's they're brave enough to go through that journey to diagnosis. Taking that first step is a brave thing to do. That's the way I see it. Yeah, the first step's the hardest step. 
it's always always is and all people say it for pretty much anything right first often the first step is the hardest step to take so if you've already gone all the way through the journey to diagnosis like that is that's the hardest part and then actually being hit with that uh, that label that diagnosis at the end of it for a lot of people it's relief but for some people that is that's also a challenge but i think the challenge in getting there was the hardest part and pe- the more that we are open about these journeys and the outcomes and the impact of it, the more I think we can help other people as well. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I think there's another a key area around, like within the workplace, around applying for jobs and kind of that that process. What's your experiences been like with that? Do you think recruiters need to kind of adapt the process for those with neurodiversities and ADHD in, in particular? Absolutely. Um, my thoughts of the majority of kind of HR processes, especially for my, for the challenges that I have, or the two, should we say the, the, the traits that I, that I um, express the most, it's, it's a pain in the ass applying for jobs. I find it really difficult. Not only from the, like you've got pages and pages of, um, of documents to fill out and uh, you're seeing it now a bit more nowadays you're seeing a little bit more automation included like i'll um upload your linkedin profile to this resume interestingly in half of those instances you still then have to go and fill out a load of other information so what for someone to really just screen that to say yes or no to an interview do we really need to go to that depth at stage one i think for people with neurodiverse conditions it's um that really your personality and a lot of your the the skills that show that you can do the job come out in the stages of the interviews that's where i believe i excel is it's not what's written on the paper it's once i get in the room and i'm able to speak to people um and nowadays be open about my journey um and share some of the work that i've done on with that so for instance um speaking on stage at the farm Air show to the aerospace global forum um about my journey with adhd the webinars that we've done internally, um, some of the stuff that I've done externally with charities and and such like. And I think it's those that, those things that you can't really get across without writing five pages of a CV, which no one's really going to read. I think also from a technology's perspective is that these portals that we're going that we go through to apply for these jobs aren't neuroinclusive inclusive enough. I think there is a lot of advancements that could be made by. Uh, by most technology companies to become more neuro inclusive to streamline that talent acquisition process and bring and we've got so many companies now shouting about how they're trying to hire hire in um, diverse talent yet they're they're doing it using the same old processes the same wording I'm seeing some people and there's a there is um a lot of businesses are starting to progress um, down in line with that and starting to change their wording on job descriptions to become more inclusive but I think that there's a still a long way to go. Uh, my my journey through the corporate and well, startup and corporate world, I, I've I've gone to apply for jobs and not finished the. I've got bored halfway through the um, the application process um, and not applied not applied for it. Um, I may have got that role. I may have been I may have been an asset to to that business or team that I was applying to be in. But it the the route to getting there just wasn't supportive for what I needed. Thank you for sharing that, Kieran. And I agree with you. Um, I think that diversity, equity and inclusion is not a one-off destination. It's a continuous ongoing journey where you learn and you adapt. 
what advice would you give to to parents who have children with ADHD and are going through that early journey? It's a really good question and a really difficult one to answer because I think what we need to remember, especially with neurodiversity, is it's a spectrum, right? So your your advice to one set of parents may be an absolute nightmare um, or not even tenable for another another community um, of parents. So I guess I'd like to think with kind of how I've come out the other end and I'm, and I'm still very much on a journey myself. I, I, I'm, I'm very much into my very passionate about self-development. Um, I think I'd like to think that I've made somewhat of a success out of my journey so far. Uh, I've got high ambitions. I've got a long way to go, like I say, but to, to those kind of walking a similar path as when I was, when I was a kid, uh, to those parents, it's a, it, it can it it can and most likely will be okay um i think parents nowadays compared to when my my mother was going through um going through that journey where she was being blamed for my behavior through bad parenting which was completely not her fault it was my it was the adhd right she was my my mom was incredible in raising me um but she'd go into school meetings being blamed for everything i don't necessarily think we're still entirely in that in that world anymore i think schools are becoming more aware um of the differences um and aren't quite so blameful in those situations um but for those that feel that they're on a bit of a a bit of a challenging journey early on in life i think there's a lot more support out there so i'd encourage people to go and get support especially charities like parenting special children for instance in berkshire recently had a few meetings with them incredible charity um, but there is a lot of help out there that wasn't there when I was a child. And I'd say, first, first of all, seek that help um, and ju- and don't feel embarrassed to share where you're at. I think there's there's credibility and confidence to be had in, vom- in being vulnerable um, and that you're not the only one. There is there is a lot of people going going down, uh, going down the same path, um, probably with very, very similar experiences to yourself. And it's just finding that community of people where you can you can find a place of belonging and support really yeah I think um for me as well with when I got my diagnosis with dyslexia being severe as well my dad I think he yeah he he just felt so bad that he didn't identify it or he couldn't tell that something was wrong during school but actually it's not it's not the parents to it's not on them to kind of think about these things I guess I think it's researching and educating yourself around these things can help you like parents to identify if that is the case with their child I think that's a really important aspect as well absolutely and I think a key thing with that as well is that let's remember that when our parents were children or when our as our parents were growing up and they had us they were in a world where this wasn't very well understood so they don't this is new to them as well and I think we need to be kind to like we need to be um we need to be kind to that fact um and su- uh, support our parents in it as much as we need support from them because like i say these a lot of these diagnoses weren't around when when we were younger i think i was it was if we look at the way i was diagnosed versus diagnosis now that's that's changed a lot right but i've got friends that were that are say 10 or 15 years older than me that were just labeled problem children and um, because there wasn't a process to diagnosis back then um and that's our parents era um so I say, yeah, we're gonna just kind of got got to be kind. We're all go there. Parents and children are going on a journey journey together. I just want to take the opportunity to 
give a shout out to your mum. What's her name? Michelle. Michelle, you're uh, an amazing woman, you know. What, from what Kieran has said, you've gone through a lot and you've, you've shown bravery. So, And here he is now. So thank you, Michelle. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. So we like to end our episodes on asking this question um, to our guests. Um, if you could give one key takeaway from this episode to our audience, what would it be? Cool, a key, key takeaway. I'd love for if, if one person listens to this and they can relate to it and, and they can smile by the end of it. I think that'd be, that'd be amazing. Um, but my key takeaway really is just, is, is really for your guys, your guys inclusivity of, of neurodiversity and go, okay, do, do you know what? We're going to, let's get Kieran on to talk about ADHD and, and support that raising of awareness. So the biggest takeaway from me is what you guys are really doing with the podcast um, to raise that awareness across DNI um, and, and help that wider community become more confident um, and, and also then support the businesses, hopefully some businesses that are listening in changing their processes um, changing their processes to become more inclusive, to build these diverse teams that we're hearing a lot, a lot about, um, and also to create allyship. I think we need to let's raise 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 awareness using platforms such as this um, to to raise that awareness um, and convert people into allies. Thank you, Kieran. Uh, that's uh, that's making me quite emotional thinking about it when me and Georgie started the the podcast. But no, thank you for being with us today and. That's all for today's episode uh, on ADHD with our amazing guest, Kieran, and uh, where we discuss his personal journey, but also how ADHD affects in the workplace. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you again, Kieran, um, for coming and speaking so openly about your experiences. Um, You've given such great insight with a lot of information that the audience can take away with them. Um, And thank you to our listeners for joining us this week. Um, We hope you enjoyed it as much as we have. Please make sure to follow the podcast on Spotify um, and also giving it a rating and review too, if you feel like it. So our next episode will be dropping shortly. So keep your eyes peeled for our next guest. And thank you again for listening. And we'll see you next time on Diversity and Inclusion, Satisfying the Tick Box. Mm-hmm.